Welcome to part two of our two-part interview with Daniel Henderson. We pick up the conversation where Daniel talks about his time as corporate chef at Bento, transitioning to leading the food and beverage team at Holt Renfrew, followed up with his move to meal kit company HelloFresh, which at that time was just a startup, and his current role as Senior Director Product Development Meal Solutions at Loblaw Companies Limited. Enjoy the show. Okay, so... What what was the difference between the two jobs? What was like so now you're corporate chef there instead of product development manager or whatever? What's uh, what, like how does your job change? So it was interesting at the time um, they were having issues in their restaurants in Manhattan. Uh, the New York restaurants were like year over year. Like this is how corporate guys think, right? They're like year over year sales are down, oh, yeah. um, and they're like, oh fuck and Jesus, you know what the hell? So they actually were like, you know, Daniel, get the hell down there. So um, I was like, okay, cool. And, and, and on top of that, they're like, we want to open a, another one. And I was like, oh, shit, all right. So uh, they got me a visa to work in the States. Um, and so I could like freely kind of like fly over and be in Manhattan. Because before then, I could only go over for like periods of three days. And I had to come mm-hmm. home because then like customs would be like, or whoever, I don't know, whatever agency would be like, hey, man, like, what are you doing down here so much, right? So much for such um, a short period of time, right? Yeah. And so I got a visa and then I could just go over and hang out for a week or do whatever. Right. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, after I got corporate chef role there, um, I, I went down to Manhattan, uh, a lot. Um, I was there almost every three weeks for like a week at a time. Um, open, open a restaurant on third street, um, or sorry, third and uh, 43rd, uh, third Avenue. And, um, yeah, we, it was just kind of like a year of my life, like buzzing back and forth between Manhattan, um, which was like the most incredible year because obviously I'm eating out and, you know, staying in these like downtown hotels and just like blasting it up, expensing everything. That sounds uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking awesome, man. I was like, <laughs> this is like, I don't want to leave. Um, and they actually offered me a job to stay, like, you know, stay in the U.S., right? And I was, at the time... To be honest, I was like, I hate to say it, but I was like, it's kind of icky, right? Like, I didn't really like the U.S. at the time, and I still don't, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to stay in Canada, right? Um, but I, I had a blast going to New York uh, and, and spending time. Uh, you know, it, it was no doubt like the best year of, of working as a chef. Like, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, it sounds amazing. Okay, so. Um, at some point, you transitioned to Holt Renfrew. Talk to me about how that happened and and what the differences were in the jobs. Yeah, it was a weird one. Um, I got like six and a half years through Bento. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good chunk of time at that place. And I got this weird, like I woke up one day and I was like, oh, shit, man, am I going to be, you know, typecast this like white sushi dude? <laughs> um, yeah. And I started well, to freak you out. You already are on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can intro me as the white sushi chef. He's the white, chef, white sushi know. chef, Daniel yeah. Henderson. <laughs> yeah. Never going to be anything else. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was this weird, like, um, scary moment. I was like, okay, fuck, I got I to gotta, I gotta mix it up, you know? Um, and so I started looking around for something else. Um, not because I didn't like the job, not because I didn't like the people, not because of anything else, but I was like career progression was going to be like at an all time low if I didn't make a move. Right. It's like six years at this thing. Um, I'd be kind of like make a, make a, a change. Right. 
And um, it was one of the hardest decisions of my life because I left my cushy job where it was super easy and enjoyable. Uh, and the great people I worked with every day were awesome. But I had to, like, you know, take a step, right? Um, and I found this gig at uh, Whole Renfrew. They wanted, you know, you know, they wanted someone to come in and, like, change up their, like, food and beverage program, right? They have these, like, cafes, right? Whole Cafe. Um, so Whole Renfrew, for like, people who are listening to the podcast who don't know what it is, is like a department, a higher-end department well, store in Canada. Luxury retail, yeah. Luxury retail, and, uh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, whatever, you know, $300 Gucci high yeah. heels, uh, fur coats. It's like a Neiman Marcus for Canada. A 100%, yeah. Okay. Uh, Saks Fifth Avenue of Canada. Um, and so I went over there to, you know, left my life at Bento, my cushy thing that was, you know, really happy over there, but took the next step into this, like, luxury retailer world, which was, like, super bizarre. Uh, my wife at the time was like in love because she was like, I got a 50% discount and she was buying all this <laughs> shit that whole through. Um, and, uh, wife at the time, funny... you, you have a new wife now? No, she's, uh, she's my wife. Sometimes I make that mistake too. I got in trouble actually on a previous podcast with my, with my president and, a, uh, and lovely wife by referring to her as wife at the time. And you, you can't do that, Daniel. She's still your wife. Okay. <laughs> so I, fuck, I fucked up. I'm a sushi guy. I'm just telling you from previous experience with the podcast, it's not wife at the time. It's present day wife. <laughs> My one and only. Uh, yeah. I'll call it that. That's right. Um, Learn from your mistakes. Yeah. That's the point of the podcast. <laughs> exactly. well, well, there is only three weeks before this podcast released, so we never know. <laughs> might Who knows what might change. happen? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. You guys, you guys can edit, right? You can. <laughs> we can, but we that's won't. correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So I mean. Yeah, so I went into this thing, um, and they were like, they had these five restaurants in Canada and these grocery in these department stores. And they, you know, they they handed me this like Deloitte, right? This like Deloitte's like one of the like Canada's leading like you know um, sort of agencies for for whatever. Uh, I'm I'm losing the name here. Um, Deloitte consultant for consultants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Deloitte um, douches, what I like to call those fucks. <laughs> that's. Yeah. That's exactly how it feels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they handed me a Deloitte report on my first day, and they're like, "Look, man, here's a risk risk assessment for, you know, the restaurants." And it was like 32 items on this risk assessment, which they didn't tell me about in my interview process. They were just like, "Oh, come on in and be the restaurant guy." Yeah. Uh, and then I get this fucking Deloitte thing, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's you know big risk, fucking you know shitty thing." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" Um, and so I got this big flaming bag of shit to deal with, which was, you know, go fix the restaurants, right? So, you know, shit, like, you know, it hadn't ever... Like, what would be on this list? Give me an example of something that would be on the list. Yeah, no, it's, it's simple. It's like, you know, they, they never counted an inventory, ever. Oh, um, you know, so there's, like, no, like, food cost control or, like, shit like that. Um, you know, at the bar, like, they just had no control over, like, what alcohol was going in, what was going out. You know, all they had was sales. That was it. Well, so, is, is that because just simply it's a department store trying to run a restaurant? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So no one yeah. gave a no one gave a fuck. Nobody, right? nobody like knows. Knows. Nobody's qualified. No, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it must have uh, been a fun so time to be a patron there, though. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. I, you should have, like, we have a common friend, James Frankles. You should have tipped him off so he could have tipped me off so that was the time to go drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I was actually having, like, you know, my uh, my office was right beside the Bloor Street, like, flagship, you know, store. And that was, like, the restaurant. So my lunch is, like, go in there and have, like, two whiskeys, you know. Sure. Like, right, yeah, cool. no one's counting. Uh, yeah, I was like, this is awesome. Uh, uh, we should mention we should mention James Franco's episode is available in the industry podcast archives. We, call, we actually have to plug our own podcast when we can. So <laughs> please go back, listen, go. subscribe, great subscribe, rate, review. Yeah. Now back to you, Daniel. <laughs> so yeah, so you're in there yeah. and continue. Yeah, a lot of whiskey lunches, and um, just quickly found out it's not a place for me. I was like, man, this is like retail. By the way, they made me wear a suit every day. Oh. Um, like a three piece, right? Really? Um, so it's funny in my interview process, like the Nadine was my boss at the time. She's like, it's like, yeah, you gotta wear a suit, right? And I'm like, what? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's got oh, a suit. That's, that's the thing. I'm like, fuck, I don't know. Suits. And she's, so she actually worked in like a, uh, you know, a $1,500 like clothing allowance. So when I first started, I could go like get a, and 1500 bucks at whole Renfrew doesn't go a long way by the way, no. but, uh, it got me like a third of a suit. I got the pay like, <laughs> um, you know? um, and so, and you know, that was, that was how I got in there. Um, and then funny enough, so those of you who remember or care, uh, Galen Weston senior, oh, yeah. big tall man that he is. Um, he was the chairman of the, of the board of the Western companies at the time. And, uh, so I happened to be just the exact same height and build as this guy. And so what they would do at the, at the clothing store, right. They would pull me in. And if he was away traveling, doing some shit, you know, cause he's like a, you know, this whatever millionaire billionaire dude, they would call me in and be like, Hey man, Mr. Weston's coming into town next week. Uh, we need to suit you up for this, uh, you know, velour suit uh so they call me and they actually measure me and they'd like measure my like things like my exact measurements to his profile and then they'd be like okay thank you and then they'd like trim it up and do whatever and they call me back in two hours and be like okay come over try it on and then they would like they'd be like yep looks good all right cool and then they'd no, give it to shit. him really yeah so I, I was like his like stunt double like so did you guys you know, have the you know, exact same size of private parts also <laughs> actually they never measured the pants so I, just, I, I don't know uh, how tailored these suits were yeah, I don't know. a body double uh, for Galen Weston Sr that, yeah, that, that, that's that actually now the title of your episode I, hope, I know this <laughs> yeah. was supposed to be about your culinary career but now the title of your episode is Galen Weston's body double yes stunt cock <laughs> except, except a much bigger bigger prop <laughs> giant stunt cock that's what we'll call it. That's what your episode's called. Sorry, buddy. Um, Paul, Paul, Paul Stuntcock Prick. Sushi <laughs> hey, so uh, what were your hours like at this place? Like working at like whole... Oh, it was like nine to five. Nine, nine to five, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, and, yeah. And now, as, as someone who's worked in the service industry your whole life, oh, sorry, I'm trying to get back on point here. <laughs> uh, is, is, is it hard to go? Like, I'm sure your job was nine to five at Bento as well. Was it hard to, like, talk to me about the hours shift. Yeah, no, it just it just sucked, right? Like they were like, yeah. oh, you know, go go do this like shitty work and these like, you know, fix all these problems in these cafes. And they're all counting inventory, 
Um, and then they pull me and be a stunt cock for Weston over here. <laughs> you know? So I was like, look, guys, like this isn't my best use of my skills, right? Like yeah. I got better, I got better places to put my cock, right? <laughs> um, and also, it's not what you got into the game for. So no, yeah. So I so now you got to feel like okay, your creativity is being stunted a little bit, but it's probably bringing in a great paycheck, and uh, you have yourself and your wife to think about at this point, like obvious why you're going to do the continue doing the job but like how are you how are you maybe just talk to us personally about like how you were feeling about the whole experience at the time Did yeah to like, to work? Like, yeah 100 yeah it was depressing yeah. as fuck right uh and i remember wearing this suit every day on the and i was like i was taking a bus to work at the time because it was like up the road on bay street where i lived down to blur this uh cafe um and it sucked um i got this call one day from um you know another headhunter and they were looking at um this uh meal kit company and at the time i'd never heard of meal kits before i was like what are you talking about and they're like oh you should check this out it's a new emerging thing um you know check out um a couple of u.s businesses they pointed out like Blue Apron and HelloFresh. And I was like, eh, meal kits, whatever. I never heard of it. I never thought of anything. I, was like, I, I don't really care. And I brushed it off, right? Mm-hmm. And it's actually my my wife, the one and only. She. Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's better. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble again. Um, she, she pushed me. She's like, no, nah, man, you got to call this guy back. Like, this, is, this sounds pretty cool. It was this fucking startup, you know, Chef's Plate. You know, they had uh, minimal sort of like, you know, uh, call it market exposure. I was like, I don't know. It was a startup. It's risky as fuck, right? Um, but I called them back and then I started chatting with the founders. And I was like, man, these guys sound like they have fun at work. And that's really what I care about. I want to go have fun. Um, I met them a few times. Um, and they're like, yeah, do you want to come and be like our culinary and sourcing lead? Like, we need somebody like yourself to like actually come over and kick some ass right mm-hmm. um and uh at the time i think there were like you know whatever uh 100 150 customers on their email list you know it was like a shitty little company um but they had great potential i was like this is this is crazy right this is crazy so i left my like again my cushy like corporate job which at, at the time i didn't care about leaving because it sucked but um i went into the startup and uh turned out it was the most again one of the most scariest things i've ever done mm. um no. no resource no no team like one one person for every position in the thing it was like you know you're just like scraping away trying to figure it out but you know the, the founders kept beer in the fridge and kept us drunk Perfect. and uh we yeah. worked was it was there a big uh, difference in pay so like long term like you know here you got some equity in the company as well at the same time yeah, that, that's kind of the startup thing. Um, I remember when I left uh, Whole Run Fruit to, to Chef's Plate, they didn't give me like a major raise or anything. But I think they gave me like two grand or something. It was like not even like a case of beer per check, right? That's how I always like equate my raises. I'm like, can I get a case of beer in a check in my raise? And if I can't, then it's a shit raise. Um, but uh yeah so it's fuck all you know money uh, increase but you know there's a obviously any startup is going to have like a package of equity for their yeah. founding uh, senior leaders so that's kind of where i signed up i was like 
I'm going to sign up as like, uh, you know, I got some shares and I'm going to work hard to make these, you know, shares grow. Right. That's a good business model too, don't you think? Like when you're like, when you have equity in the company, then it's not like people with good, generally if, if companies are smart, they're not hiring people with great work ethic anyway, without great, sorry, without great work, work ethic anyway. But, um, but even if you have great work ethic, which you clearly do, the, it's it's almost even a more bonus like to turbocharge your work ethic when you're now like you have equity in it well you actually give a fuck right you come to work and you're like i want this thing to drive forward as fast and hard as possible and there's nothing that's going to stop me right right because my uh my my financial success um dependent on how well this company does and so I actually, I actually think about it long term. I'm like, man, I wish like a lot of restaurants worked that way because at the end of the day, you know, well, founding co-op, crew. Yeah. Co-op's a big thing now. Like co-op, yeah. Yeah, co-op restaurants are popping up everywhere and I, I applaud them. Like it's not my business model because like I'm already in the ownership area. So it's like, it doesn't make sense for me to go co-op now, but like I understand what yeah. places do it because it does. Yeah. And, and, and it truly, I, I thought, you know, from my experience in the startup world at Chesapeake, it's, uh, it creates this like really cool environment of like, you know, what I call like this, this teamwork of like, you know, um, I guess it's like a safety net where if I fuck up, you know, somebody else is there to have my back, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of workplaces where I've worked, I've been in the past. Whole Renfrew was one of the worst ones, but you know, if you fuck up, someone's going to point a finger at you. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're done. You're, you, you fucked up. Nobody else. You're like, whoa, man, like, you know, no forgiveness. Like, what's this about, you know? Mm-hmm. But in a world of a startup where everyone's just kind of like scraping along together, it's like uh, we all just kind of figured out. And if there's an issue, then, yeah, let's figure it out together, right? There's not right. it's not this animosity of like, you're you're wrong, I'm right, you know? Um, that's what I miss about that world. It was really cool. Uh, and so now you're at Loblaw. Yeah. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about that. How did you get there, and what's your job presently? Uh, I know your title is another one of those ones where it seems like they smashed a bunch of words together, and I'm not sure exactly what it means. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, my road to Lava is a weird one. Um, I actually so Chesapeake. I started there, uh, worked with those guys for you know three and a half years, growing that business. We finally uh, got acquired. Um, you know, so I, I should probably not skip over the chef's plate thing. Like we did yeah, a ton of hard work. Um, and you know, over the time there, we, you know, we, we were, we were making meal kits. Right. Um, and at that time I didn't know what a meal kit was. And we were like, okay, we were going to educate Canada on what meal kits are. Uh, there was no hello fresh. There was no good food. There was no competitors. It was just us. Oh. Um, and we were, we were out there selling meal kits, man. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, uh, and you know, we were making meal kits in this like shitty little factory in Toronto. Uh, and over time they were like, you know what, we need, you know, meal kits on the West coast. And so we said, okay, let's open a factory in, in Vancouver. Um, so we wow. flew out and we opened one in Vancouver. Um, uh, and from there we made meal kits that shipped into Alberta. Um, and very soon it was like this like national, business right we so did you shipping. did you move out west again or were you still doing your job from here no i was like flying out um flying and actually where we where we landed a, a factory was in abbotsford so i would like fly out to vancouver and then drive out to abbotsford um and then i'd hang out in abbotsford for like a week at a time okay. and then i'd fly home 
Um, but it was just kind of a back and forth thing until, you know, we got a team out there that was like sufficient. Um, and you know, all the while you're kind of putting on seven, eight different hats, right. Cause it's a startup and, you know, fuck the plumber slept in. So I'll go fucking fix the toilet too or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't really matter. Um, so, you know, that was cool. And, and we got the business to a point where, um, you know, we were the, the leader in Canada, um, and then you started getting all these like competitive presences, right? So like good food showed up out of Quebec. Um, HelloFresh showed up. They're the world leader. They're in 11 markets around the world. They're from Berlin. Okay. Can I ask you um, a question? So how does, like, oh, so they're from Berlin, but you were the only one, you were the first one chiefly from Canada? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, okay. So I was going to ask you like, how does HelloFresh usurp you? But it, they didn't, they were already a big company and they just moved in. Yeah, they showed up um, and they, they kind of came in. I think Canada was like what, their last market that they entered. I don't know if they've entered anymore since they entered Canada. But, Do you um, feel like this was akin to a World War II invasion? It was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then they acquired us, which was really awkward. Oh, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, they did a lot of that in World War II as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. They, did, they didn't call it acquire so much, but... <laughs> no. The Germans are here. Um, yeah, so no, they showed up and, uh, they acquired, um, and so, you know, what, what it was, was, um, you're working with the enemy day one, right? So it was kind of strange. So how does that change uh, your job? It changed a lot, uh, because, you know, to be honest, every, like a meal kit company acquiring a meal kit company, there's, you know, a person doing the same job and like, it's a direct line to mm-hmm. the culinary guy, the finance guy, the, you know, the sourcing guy, the, every now, guy has a guy. Now there's two of you. Yeah, and now it's like basically oh, show yeah. me your dick, and we've got a bigger dick. Yeah, you? there were two. Yeah, so. yeah. Did you did you mention your previous cock stunt work? <laughs> I did. I was like, no, check out check out my big dick from my last job. Like, they didn't care. Uh, so it was uh, it was a quick dick show off, and then uh, no, they they basically steamrolled the entire thing. Um, oh really? And. So it was like a classic, I mean, I don't want to talk publicly about that thing, but the the classic, you know, sort of like acquisition gone wrong, right? Okay. Like, you know, nobody really enjoyed working with the competitor. Right. Um, and so we all decided to, you know, I, I was one of the last to leave, but tons of my coworkers were already pre- predisposed that they were going to take off. And like, I think this um, is like, I don't know, only from watching like shows like Billions, do I understand that? <laughs> like, I have never worked in the corporate world, but this seems to be how it works in general with acquisitions, right? Like, the, the, yeah. the company that gets acquired is like, wow, this is not the team that I signed up to work for. And I, yeah. a few stick around, but very few. Yeah. It's basically a big, like, fuck this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, tons of folks are, you're into the new culture, you're not. But the challenge was, you know, our, our founders have done a really good job of, you know, painting this sort of, you know, new culture of startup world that we all fell in love with. And you know, unfortunately, this new business that acquired us was uh, not of the same breath, right? Did you um, have any concept? Uh, sorry, I just have a, qu- a quick question about this. But do you did you have any concept as someone who comes from the culinary world, not the corporate world? Did you have any concept that of how your life was going to change like, or like even the fact that your company might get acquired or, and, and, and if it did, how your life might change once it did, was that like even in your realm of understanding at that point or was it just like, 
Uh, no, right. if it's, it's funny, man, because like all startups have the, the drive towards acquisition. That's what a startup exists for, right? Right. You, course, exist, yeah. you exist as a business to be acquired by somebody or something. Um, and at the time, we were just head down working so hard that I didn't ever even thought about you know, what would happen after acquisition. It was like just not even a like moment of thought, right? It was yeah. just let's go kick some ass, keep mm-hmm. kicking ass, and let's be the best at what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, when the acquisition happened, it was like, "Fuck, this sucks." Uh, I never mm-hmm. thought about this. So, in yeah. in hindsight, I probably should have had more time thinking about, "Hey, man, this could end up shitty, or it could end up really good." But well, at the end of the day. It didn't cloud my judgment of like how I got to work every day. Well, if it makes you feel better, I think that, that you're not alone in that situation. I was listening to a podcast about like the whole startup bubble uh, and like how it all burst with everybody and nobody had a clue. Like you just, yeah. like, you just, you got a job at a place that you believed in and you, and you got excited about working there. Like there's no part of you that thinks, oh, down the road, we're going to get it. Even though you know probably in the back of your mind that's the goal of a startup, you're not thinking that way. You're just thinking, I'm putting my head down, I'm going to make this business explode. But then but then the truth is, it's, being, it's, it's exploding for the direct purpose of acquisition. It's such a weird Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, I probably, if I thought about it differently, if I thought about acquisition up front, I probably wouldn't have worked as hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, because I would have been, you would, you would have too much time to think about all the different scenarios. What if, what if I got acquired by this business? What if I got acquired by that business? All those bullshit things you're going to think about versus just go be the best you can be and then let the acquisition happen naturally. Um, at the end of the day, I, I probably would have worked way less hard. <laughs> yeah, but I think I, but I mean, good for you for just, I, I think you just kind of need to separate those two things, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. and I actually, I even, even like we just met on this podcast, even though we have mutual friends, I, I highly doubt that you would have worked any less hard. Like, just doesn't <laughs> seem, it just doesn't seem like your personality. But uh, let's talk, okay, let's talk about the transition into Loblaw now. Yeah, so Loblaw, um, I met the guys at Loblaw through, uh, you know, as a startup, we were going at Chef's Plate, having these meetings with uh, multiple different retailers, right? Like Sobeys, Metro, Loblaw, Longos, all these guys wanted to buy us, right? So there's these acquisition meetings, and I met the Loblaw guys, and they were talking a little differently than all the other guys, right? So, you know, Sobeys, Metro, Longos, were like, oh, yeah, you know, milk kits, you know, we'll put them on the shelf, right? And that's it. Um, and I started thinking like, well, that's kind of close minded, right? Like we're not like a box of Cheerios. Like it's like a mm-hmm. short shelf life, it's like seven day shelf life, you know, it's fresh food, you know, you can't just like throw it on a shelf. That's it. Right. And Loblaws was talking about, you know, they have this like huge digital kind of vision of like, we're going to create a meal kit business. We're going to sell meals online. We're going to tap into, you know, the meals mindset. Like they were just thinking differently. Right. Um, and so I started to say like, that's cool. And then, you know, a week later, we got acquired by HelloFresh. Um, and so now I'm in this world of like, fuck, I work for the, you know, the competitor. The evil uh, however, yeah. yeah, the evil empire, um, you know, but the the other guys, the other evil empire, blah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. was actually talking kind of, kind of cool. So I actually phoned them. I was like, look, man, um, I don't know. Your meal strategy sounded pretty good. Do you want to, do you want to chat? I'm happy to come join you. Uh, and so I did that. I left the startup world. I went to the corporate space again, 
um, in this time for the biggest one. And uh, I said, look, like let's let's build something from scratch. Um, and I'll be honest, right? Like the first nine to 10, 12 months even was this like world of like, you know, 19, you know, the video 1984, the, like the Apple commercial where it's yeah, like yeah. You're breaking the rule, you know, yeah. like that thing. That's my whole life for like nine months, right? Like do not break the rules, follow the rules, step in line. Don't fuck around. Don't think differently. Like don't, 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 don't. Um, and I was like, Oh fuck. Like, did I make the right decision? Like where the fuck am I? Like, you know, mm. um, and it was this world of like so many people just following the rules and fucking just that's the way we do it. Um, fuck off if you think differently. Um, and politics, man, thick, thick, thick. Politics. I can only imagine. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was like, oh shit, man, I think I really fucked this one up, you know? Um, but then, you know, over time, it got a bit better. I made some headway, I met some people, you know folks started talking to me <laughs> i actually had like you know i met some coworkers that were like you know okay people and the, you know got fostered in a bit um but it's this world weird environment like lava head office man there's like three thousand people work there there's this massive cafeteria that like it felt like high school again i'm in grade nine mm. and nobody's my buddy right. and um so i was just trying to fit in i was just, just like i'm get stuffed in a locker <laughs> yeah and i was like check out my check out my stunt cock guys like it's cool. <laughs> um you know and uh it was yeah this bizarre moment of you know not understanding where i was but over time we were like fuck you know this is uh what we're gonna do we we came to make meal kits um and that's kind of what we started to do uh and then the pandemic hit all of a sudden out of nowhere fucking everybody go home um so this like office of three thousand people in Brampton was told to fuck off home mm. and you know all of a sudden it became everybody focused on the 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 stay at home kind of mentality right um and it was like one of the most weirdest things cuz you're like shit like how do i work from home and still be a chef right um but my you know honestly like i have a crew of of guys that make meal kits and they do it in a factory uh in Toronto and I was like, fuck, I need to go see these guys and make sure they're still like, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I kept going in there, um, obviously with like COVID protocols and sure, you know, yeah. masks on hands, sanitized, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. temperature checks everywhere. Social like, distancing, you know, yeah. yeah. Everything was in play, but like just, it, it was wild. Like, you know, my entire world went home. Um, and so I, I, I don't know, like it was this moment of, how the fuck do we actually do this? Um, and at the time we hadn't started selling our meal kits other than in store. So we were like, the moment of truth came. It was like, we got to launch a website like now, like this is it, right? Like week three in the pandemic, it was like, fuck man, we gotta, we gotta do this. Right. Um, and so we got our heads together. We said, okay, let's do it. Like, let's open a, a website and start selling our meal kits. Um, direct to our, you know, to our customers doors. Right. And so we, in three weeks, you know, we launched pcchef.ca, which was uh, where we we're continuing to sell our meal kits. And that was awesome. But it took, you know, three weeks of like 12 hour days at home to, you know, brainstorm, develop, and then launch a website. It was just like the most intense three weeks of my life. From March to April during a pandemic, it was like, let's just work double hard at home with a toddler and you know add the stress on it just became this moment of like you know 
we had to do it because there was nothing else to do with our lives, right? Was it like a national launch too or more regional? It was just in Toronto. Um, and we said, okay, like, let's, let's get this going and see if, you know, we can actually, you know, have, you know, have, have a bit of a business going in the, in the GTA. Um, and overnight it became, you know, we're going to deliver meal kits to your house next day. So if you order by noon, we'll deliver to you tomorrow. Um, and it became this really cool kind of service that people started gravitating towards. And with, you know, grocery services and beer and, you know, uh, liquor, you know, all types of, you know, businesses starting to figure out how to deliver to people's homes. We were like, this makes sense. It's the time to do it. It wasn't until about like month five or six that I started to think about like, you know, we heard all these stories about like at the time, like restaurants were like struggling hard. Right. And, you know, you know, restaurants were closing and actually shutting the door for like months on end. Um, and we started to like, start to think about like, how, how do we support these restaurants? Like in, in a, in a more meaningful way. Right. And then, so we started thinking about like, you know, why don't we just be like, we should be selling restaurant meal kits. Like that's it. Like, why don't we actually host a website where it's like a meals marketplace restaurants can post up their meal kits for the week or the month, whatever they want to do. I will go and pick up those meal kits from those restaurants and I'll ship them to the consumers that buy them on my platform. Um, And that's kind of how that's sort of how like our, our restaurant meal kit, you know, platform came to life. Um, And it's probably one of the coolest things I've done in my, my life, my career, because we have 21 restaurants on the platform. Wow. 53 meal kits for sale every day. And, you know, we, we, we help these guys out as much as we can, right? It's, uh, you know, we have a crew of people that, um, A, go pick up the meal kits and then B, pack them and C, deliver them the next day. And it's, it's actually like this really cool sort of like meals marketplace that allows restaurants to sort of create like another whatever, you know, risk-free sort of revenue stream, right? During a really tough time, right? That's amazing, man. Um, I, I, I can't... I... I can't tell you how what a great thing that is to do and like what a point in time it is to do it, obviously. And I, I think that also that's a business model that will like succeed post pandemic when things get back to normal, like things are going to be di- the one thing. And you, you can tell me how you feel about this as well. But I feel like the one thing that one positive thing that's happened to this pandemic for the service industry, and there's only been one, uh, is that it's opened all of our eyes to new creative ways to handle our business and something that that speaks directly to what you're doing right now and 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 that's not just going to be something that makes sense now it's going to make sense like a year from now no 100 percent. and um i think one of the one of the things i've i've kind of opened my my eyes up to is you know being creative in a way that opens your sort of uh, acceptance of different ideas around how to revenue stream your business in a way that's not a most traditional way. Right. So it's like, you can't just open your door and have people come in and sit in chairs anymore. It doesn't work like that. Um, and you know, if things are going the way they're going, unfortunately, you know, this UK news of, you know, this variant and people aren't even allowed to fly to the UK right now and Mm -hmm. another lockdown for 28 days and whatever, whatever. So all of those things spell trouble for your traditional open the door and have people sit in those chairs Mm -hmm. business. So now it's around, how else can I sell my food to people? 
so I'm doing my best. Like, honestly, guys, like in my world, uh, my social world, which is very small, but I try to like promote folks like eating out at least once a week, if not twice, support those local businesses, right? Like that get guys, uh, get guys some, some sales, man. Like, I can't, um, even, I can't even you, agree with you more. Like it's all about supporting local independent business. And if I can just like preach that mantra over and over again to anyone who might be listening to this, it's all about local independent business right now. If you want the cool small spots to stay going, that's how you're going to have to do it. Yeah. And, and then, you know what, it's going to take energy. It's going to take effort, you know, to get off your phone and stop buying from Amazon, go out and buy, you know, local from your, you know, whatever it is, the donut guy or, you know, whoever, man, like these businesses survive on your cash, man. It's just that simple. Right. So it's the little things too. You don't, you don't have to, you know, shop at home Depot, go to home hardware you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, or whatever, like just make those like minor shifts in your way that you think. And, and that's it. Right. I actually went to St. Jacob's market this past weekend. It's, I grew up going there. My dad took me there every Saturday. You know, we got bacon, we got sausage and we got eggs and we went home and he made this killer breakfast every morning. So it's this thing I do now for my daughter. I'm like, I'm going to go every Saturday I can to the market, grab as much home, you know, homemade product as i possibly can anyways we were there we were talking to some vendors and this guy about crepes from he was like so incredibly gracious that of all the people that sold food at the market i bought a crepe from him and he came over to me three times and was just super incredibly gracious about how thankful he was i spent my dollars with him and not some other vendor and that just speaks to me on a level of like you know, that, the, the, that's why we shop local, right? Mm. So, you know, well, I will say, like, even from my own experience, I've, what I have found myself being is like the less like 30 year in the business jaded person when I go to a table or talk to a guest. And now I'm just like supremely grateful that they chose my spot to go to for a night when they could have gone to, I don't know, Kelsey's or some chain or whatever like that. And I think that that's, it's a good, uh, it's another positive. I said there was only one, but there's another positive. It's a very good eye opener to people who have been in the game for a very long time and who have become a little bit jaded to realize that, hey, we appreciate every single one of you who come to our spots as local independent business owners. Daniel, I really appreciate you coming on the show. That was fascinating. We have never had anyone on the show who has had a career quite like yours. That is definitively true. And started talking. Yes. Well, that's what I mean. And, and now it's all going to come down to Daniel Henderson, stunt cop. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, for having me, guys. Thanks yeah. for hanging out with us, man. Thanks, uh, thanks We really much. appreciate it. That was really, really, really interesting. Thank you.